This is Think Queerly, and I'm your host, Darren Steele. Well, today's show is an interview with one of my clients, Lachlan Smith, and I'm calling it a new beginning, Birmingham Unicorns LGBTQ Plus Cricket Club. So let me tell you a little bit about my client, Lachlan. He grew up in Australia before moving to the UK in his early 20s, and growing up, he was a passionate cricketer and a fan of the sport. But after he came out, he gave it up. He didn't see it as being compatible as a gay man, and the lack of gay role models and, I suppose, the negative banter in the cricket dressing room made it just uncomfortable, and he no longer wanted to participate. But in his late 30s, he rediscovered his passion for the sport, and he came out at his new club, and he then began to enjoy his time there. But something was still missing. And in 2020, during the height of the pandemic, he had the idea to set up a brand new LGBTQ plus cricket club in Birmingham, England, where he lives. And it would be only the second such club in the world. So the journey of him setting up the club and his leadership, personal leadership growth, have gone hand in hand. Now, a new season is approaching. It's towards the end of April, and they're going to be playing their first game very soon. But Lachlan needed my help to think through how the leadership and ethos of the club might look, uh, issues of equality and inclusion for everyone, and what he would need to do to make all of that happen. Well, he has since established the club, uh, set up the new chairs and the management committee, and looking forward to making LGBTQ plus cricket a reality with an inclusive ethos driving every part of the club. And uh, the Birmingham Unicorns are going to play their very first match against the only other LGBTQ plus team in the world, Grace's Cricket Club from London on May 23rd, 2021. So hopefully you'll have had a chance to listen to this uh, before they play their game. So I have all of the links in the show notes from the website and where you can follow them on social media, as well as where you can follow Lachlan on Medium and Twitter as well. Very happy with this podcast and really pleased uh, for the growth that Lachlan has demonstrated and how far he has come in our work together over the last three months. And that's not... That's not me boasting. Uh, Coaching is about helping the person I'm working with do their own work and to get the clarity and the focus and direction so that they can more efficiently and effectively accomplish what they came to see me for in the first place. And Lachlan has really demonstrated that. So without further ado, here's the uh, interview and discussion with Lachlan Smith. All right. Well, Lachlan, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. So we have been doing some work together for almost three months, and I have known you um, uh, through Think Queerly, my publication on Medium a a few years ago when I launched that, and you had published um, a couple of posts, I believe, um, around cricket. and. Cricket specifically and some other issues were the reason that, you know, we started some work together at the beginning of this year. But before we get into that, I wanted to 
introduce you. And, and, and one of the nice things about this kind of a format for me is we'll get, I'll get to learn more about you and your background. And that might pull out some interesting um, areas of, of conversation if we tend to go down that route. So uh, yeah. perhaps the, the background of, of who are you, where you live, um, how you got to this point, and then we'll, we'll jump from there. Sure. So um, I'm Lachlan. I, I live in Birmingham in the UK, uh, but I didn't I didn't grow up here. I grew up in Australia, um, and in in Australia, it's really hard to grow up and avoid cricket. Uh, cricket is is pretty much the national religion. I, I imagine a bit like perhaps ice hockey is in Canada or something like that. It's, it's one of those things that you just become. You just become immersed in, I suppose. And I, I in, in the first twenty years of my life, my dad uh, uh, introduced me to, to cricket, and and it was clear that there were other members of my family who had an interest in the sport, and, and I kind of got hooked when I was about probably about twelve years old, something like that. Yeah. And from there, um, it's it's always remained a part of my life. But it but it's always it's played different roles, I guess, in 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 my life as I grew up. You know, in my teenage years. You know, I, I started to recognise that I was gay, and that there felt like at the time um, there was a conflict between my sexuality and my um, my participation in cricket or my my enjoyment of, of cricket. Uh, so it was by the time I was sort of twenty odd years old, um, I'd pretty much pretty much given the sport away. I was in a bit of a I was in a bit of a rut, I guess, in, in, in terms of my life. I was still living in Australia at the time. I didn't quite know what I wanted to do. And then, you know, as happens, things come out of the blue, don't they, in your life? And my dad suddenly passed away um, when I was 20. Uh, and that was obviously a huge, um, huge upheaval, huge shock. Um, and and it 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 started a process for me, I guess, of, of, of re-evaluation of what I wanted to do with my life and where I wanted to be. And and within two or three years, I'd, I'd started working for the South Australian state government in a economic development kind of policy kind of role, and and that was you know okay, but there was still something missing, and I hadn't come out. And you know, in all honesty, I was probably suffering with. Uh, a level of depression at, at, at that time and it was about 23 I think I was um, where I took the plunge and I came out and I came out to quite a lot of people in quite a very short period of time um, and you know I was, I was relatively lucky that on the whole they were pretty positive experiences they weren't totally positive uh, my mum certainly struggled with it for mm -hmm. um, at the beginning uh, but you know on the whole it was positive but it made me realize as well that I needed to do something else and so I decided to follow my brother who was um had come over to the UK about six months before that I thought I'd come over and do what many Australians did at the time and, and probably some still do now and that's sort of a backpacking holiday you know go around the UK a bit work a bit um you know, hopefully hopefully enjoy yourself that kind of thing um so I got on a plane packed everything up back in Australia, sold my car, uh, put a whole bunch of stuff into into storage, got on a plane, came over here, and that was 20 years ago. Um, well, it's over 20 years ago. 
now. I am getting old. It's 20, 22 years ago. <laughs> and um, I, I, I sort of settled into UK life pretty quickly, actually, because it was quite a fresh start. You know, nobody knew me other than my brother, who was, who was obviously here. Nobody knew me. It was a chance to start fresh. But I still didn't go back to cricket. And it took about 10 years for me to go back to cricket. Um, and that really came from my mum and sister when I was back in, in Australia at one point. They were, they were basically saying to me, look, you know, you, you live in the UK now. You've got all this stuff in storage. You've got to clear it out. You've got to decide what you're going to do with it. Like either ship it to the UK or get rid of it or whatever. Mm. And within that was, you know, my cricket bat, cricket ball, cricket kit, this kind of thing. And and my mum was like, well, take it back, take it back. So I did. I packed it into my suitcase, brought it back to the UK with me. And within, I guess, probably six months of, of that, I took the plunge and, and went to um, – uh, a training session for for a cricket club where I worked at the time, mm -hmm. and honestly, it was terrifying. You know, <laughs> when you haven't played for that long, yeah. and you know, I was out in all parts of my life, but I wasn't out, and I wasn't about to come out at the cricket club. It still didn't feel like a place to to come out. Um, uh, and actually, I played at this club for two years, and I, ne I never came out while I played for them. Um, yeah. I enjoyed it; it was a really good experience, but. I, I never came out. Um, so at that, what, um, what 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 year approximately would that have been? Uh, this is twenty, ooh, sort of twenty twelve to twenty fourteen. That okay. that kind of so about and, and, eight nine years ago. And given that time frame and the sport, um, I'm 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 ignorant of this um, that that sport specifically, and it's that's just only about ten years ago. But how was being gay or being queer in any way seen within the domain of cricket and the uh, attached to that, how, how male oriented is cricket? Yeah. So at the time when I, um, when I went back to play, it was just after the very first uh, male professional cricket player had come out. Um, so there's a guy called Steve Davies who played for England at the time. Um, and he had just come out like literally about a year before I went back, but that was it. Mm -hmm. like, there was there was there was nobody else in the male game um, that was out. The women's game, there were a few women's players who were out at the elite level, but women's cricket at the time uh, was nowhere near as prominent as it is now. Within ten years, women's cricket has grown enormously in terms of international mm -hmm. coverage, um, mm -hmm. the profile of players, and things like that. So it's a bit different now. There are obviously out LGBT. Uh, women cricketers now who are very prominent but still within the men's game at the elite level Steve Davis is still the only um, male player to come out at the elite level anywhere around the world mm -hmm. he still plays um, at professional cricket here in England he doesn't play for England anymore but he plays professionally um, here in England mm -hmm. so it wasn't a sport where you had role models it wasn't a sport where you felt um you had somebody to look up to, you had a path to follow. Mm -hmm. And the sport, it, it's it's um it, it's like any team sport. You know, there's a, there's eleven people on a on a on a team, you you share a changing room, you're all mm -hmm. in the same space together a lot of the time. Um you have a lot of I mean cricket's a kind of strange sport because at its elite 
elite level you know you can play one game over five days so it's uh i mean at the level i play at you don't i mean we tend to play just one day games over a day but but even in those situations you still have a lot of downtime where you'll just be sitting around basically watching what's going on waiting for your turn in effect to to participate mm-hmm. um and so you have a lot of time to talk to your teammates and, mm. and things like that and so in, in some respects cricket's a great sport for like um bonding and getting to yeah. know people because you've got that space and that time to do it but when you're harboring a secret yeah it's bloody terrifying because <laughs> you don't yeah. want people asking you questions the well-known deflection <laughs> so do you have a girlfriend well not at yeah. the moment <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's those and it's not a lie, but it's get. not the truth either. <laughs> exactly. And I had that on, on a number of occasions in my first couple of years when I, when I swapped club. I mean, part of the reason why I left the first club was because I'd, I'd left that employer, so it was easier to move on. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other reason for me was that that first club, um, you know, it was great <clears> playing cricket there, but it wasn't really a social club. People didn't really interact outside of the game. I wanted to play somewhere a bit closer to home and I, and I wanted that more social element although I knew having that social element had consequences you know mm-hmm. that that there was potentially a downside to that mm. so I found a new club which is really close to where I live now sort of five ten minutes drive away um and it still took two years at that club before I actually came out it was a a, a bit of a a journey of trying to build trust i guess and get to know people and i got to a point where as i was saying with the sort of social element you know people did socialize a lot either after games or you might go out um for a meal in the middle of the week or whatever it might be but the pressure was sort of building you know people would always ask about me i guess but i wasn't really giving much away and i kind of got to that point where i thought i either have to walk away or i have to come out like there was a tension there and i plucked up the courage through the medium of alcohol and i'm sure i won't be the first (laughs) and won't be the last and came out to one of the players there who i thought would take it well um and he did he took it very well and we had a really nice drunken conversation um and and then it kind of went from there so would that be um it's always a challenge coming out in you know and, and coming out is usually never a single incident it's you know it might yeah. be coming out to a friend or parent or coming out by accident and then it's like maybe coming out in the workplace or coming out in a social environment like a sport so you know it's great that that was a, a relatively easy process um but i'm sort of interesting interested in your reflections now on that time before you actually came out how how did it feel because that that is the challenge for an lgbtq person to decide does it feel safe in this environment and is is there something very clearly showing threat like somebody is saying something prejudiced or homophobic or transphobic or is it just that this sport, this environmental container, um, is historically not queer. Um, and so I'm just interested for you, like, what was that perception? It's it's a really good point. I mean, for me, it was a bit of both. Mm -hmm. There was, uh, 
there was some low-level homophobia um, <clears throat> going on in, in, in the environment. Um, there were some comments being made, to, uh, yes, kind of to me and about me by people who uh, they didn't know I was gay. And I think when I did then come out, Mm-hmm. This surprised them. I mean, I, I don't think they'd ever really made that connection. I mean, maybe they had on a subconscious level. I don't or know. Even but... on an unconscious level, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. But I think um, that, so there was partly that. So it partly was there, there was some homophobia going on, and that made it <clears> quite <throat> um, difficult. It felt for me quite difficult to navigate some of the relationships with some of the people at the club. Right. Um, so it was partly that, but it was also partly the fact that there was a, there was and is a culture in cricket, um, which I, you know, is probably not unique to cricket, um, but there's a lot of uh, male changing room banter and the masculine bravado. <laughs> yeah, 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 that, yeah, that kind of stuff. And maybe cricket's not as bad as some sports. I mean, it, it might not be in some respects, but there is certainly an element of that. And there's a uh, a real um, kind of almost an expectation that that right. you can take the piss out of other people, and you can yes. almost do it in any way, which I think you know isn't isn't right. right. <laughs> um, and it, I didn't feel comfortable at times in in that situation. Um, Actually, just a, a point of clarification for me. Um, you know, you look at something like, a, I guess, uh, football, um, like American football, that has yeah. much more of a, like a, a, a violent feel to it. And, and these guys are, are big, right? Um, how how physically aggressive or, or violent is, is it's a strong word, maybe physically yeah. aggressive does, does cricket feel compared to other uh, like field-based sports? Like I would imagine soccer yeah. might be much worse than. Yeah. It, in, in some respects, the cricket's quite sedate, you know, it's, it's um, like baseball. You know, they're, they're, yeah. Yeah. There's sort of moments of aggression. So I guess if you, if you compare it to something like baseball, like in baseball, the moment of aggression would be the point of the pitch yeah. and then the hit if the, mm-hmm. if the batter hits it. But then once that's happened, mm-hmm. where that masculine bravado has yeah. played out, right. it, it sort of becomes a bit sedate again until the next crescendo. So I guess in cricket, it's kind of like if you've got a fast bowler, an aggressive, quick bowler, okay. who's the equivalent of a pitcher, say, in baseball, mm. you know, they, they can be quite aggressive. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you're batting, you can be quite aggressive, but you don't have to be. I mean, you can navigate your way through the sport and do very well at it without being super aggressive. So it's quite sedate in many ways as a sport. Okay. That that was also something I I know that you had published a couple of posts and might be, I'll see if I can find them um, and and, and link them that there were literally like ruminations on that, you know, should I have said this? Did I say this wrong? Did this person say this and did they mean this? So, you know, that all was building up to you then coming towards like a passion project. Yeah. Which is what you've started building was starting, I guess, last year. Yeah, totally. So I, 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 I continued to play at Wheelie for the, the club I'm at for another few years. And, and, and to be honest, I'll still continue to play for them now. But over the last year, 
um, with with the whole COVID lockdowns, the the, the you know the huge um, huge shift that's happened in the last year, you know, globally, and every society's felt it, and probably in some very different, unique ways. But you know, mm-hmm. I, I knew um, that the LGBT community here in in Birmingham or in the UK were suffering, you know, huge levels of isolation with with stringent lockdowns, um, Mm -hmm. mental health problems, uh, and and this kind of thing. But I also knew that cricket could be a really good way of uh, socialising and and engaging with people and um, improving your mental health or or having improving your your social network or whatever it might be. Uh, And it can be a fun sport to play. Like any sport, it can be incredibly infuriating. (laughs) And you you wish you never did it. But but it can be a really good fun sport to play as well. Um, And and so it was during last year that I I started to think, you know, maybe, you know, maybe, well, well, no, not maybe, but surely there's a demand in Birmingham. So Birmingham's a big city. You know, there's about, you know, with Birmingham, you've got a number of cities which basically border it, and it's like a big conurbation. There's like three three million plus people here, so it's a big, you know, big city. And I thought there's got to be other LGBT people out there who are interested in cricket, who want to play cricket. I mean, I just it's can't believe there's not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I I wasn't totally convinced that I'd be able to find eleven, you know, to put a team on the park. But I thought there's got to be more than me, you know. There has to be. And um, I knew there were a couple of other LGBT cricketers in uh, the country because I'd done some work, uh, or I'd had the opportunity to participate in a project run uh, by the um, governing body, the sports governing body here in England, along with Sky Sports, one of the big sports broadcasters here in the UK, uh, to participate in what they called a Rainbow Stumps campaign, which was about LGBT equality in cricket. And so I had an opportunity to participate in that. And I think the year before, well, with COVID, all my timelines become a bit muddled, but I think it was the year before. Uh, and I'd, And through that, I'd met a couple of other LGBT cricketers. They just weren't in Birmingham. They lived much further afield. Uh, so I thought there's got to be some demand out there. I thought, you know, maybe maybe this is the time where I need to, um, you know, instead of sitting around waiting for somebody else to do something, you've got to do it yourself. Like, you know, maybe I should be the one to actually explore this. Um, I, I used to not believe, well, this, I, I was going to say I used to not believe in LGBT sports teams. And I, that's mm-hmm. probably not quite what I mean. I mean, I I just didn't think they were for me. I didn't think I needed to be in an LGBT sports team. I could kind of see a value for some people, but I was like, no, you don't. I don't need to be part of that. But over the last year, I've realised that actually, I think I do need to be part of that, and and I I need to reconnect with the LGBT community, and I need to work with the community to create opportunities for me and for the community. And we can do that around cricket and really positively around cricket. So I sort of started this kernel of an idea last year and I I talked to one of my teammates at at the club I play for, uh, a, you know, bright, intelligent, articulate young man who's a strong ally of the community. And he was just like, yeah, do it. You know, (laughs) I'll help you. Um, and, and that's like, that's kind of interesting that you know there's an ally that seemed to be a little bit more enthusiastic than your original um, uh, 
desire or need or belief. And it was interesting that you said, you know, I didn't believe and you weren't sure if that was the right word, but it probably is close to the right word because we our our beliefs and values are really closely related. Like a value can yeah. be considered something almost like a, a, a characteristic or a character trait. Um, but when it becomes a little bit more uh, specific, like somebody, like my values are um, acceptance and peace of mind and freedom, my, my, my core values. Um, and yeah. there are beliefs that are associated with that, that. And a belief might be something more of a statement, but the belief could be around issues of self-worth or not feeling comfortable or safe enough to be in the public domain as an out cricket player and all of the other things that that go with that so was was this and before we get and continue on with your story here was was this a slow burn change or did you have like an epiphany um what or perhaps did how did that lead up to the conversation with this young man who was an ally who basically said yeah you should do this (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it was it was probably close to an epiphany. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I don't think I could nail down a particular day, but <clears throat> I, I I know that my mindset shifted quite radically in the space of less than two months. Mm-hmm. So I can remember that I I attended a webinar like we've all done millions of them in COVID times, yeah, yeah. Um, and 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 in this webinar, that's where. Um, uh, the chief exec of a, of a Birmingham LGBT charity who I know quite well and have worked with over the years, mm-hmm. you know, she was talking about this isolation um, that the LGBT community were feeling. Yeah. Um, and, and she talked about some of the, uh, some of the work that the charity was, was doing to, to help address this and help support the community. And it was kind of at that moment when she was talking about that, that I realized that, you know what that, that this is an issue you know mm-hmm. and 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 there is something that we should be doing about this mm-hmm. and it made me I, I think it was at that point where I started to think okay what can I do about it so at that point I don't think I was thinking cricket I don't think right. that was the answer but then as we got closer to starting cricket again so at this point in May of last year you still couldn't play recreational cricket here with the lockdown rules and it wasn't till sort of middle of July when you could start playing again and I was just mulling it over in that time and I was starting to listen to many more um, uh, podcasts around LGBT uh, themes issues there was one here in the UK um, called the uh, LGBT, I think it's just called the LGBT Sports Podcast, mm-hmm. um, and, and where they talk to different people, LGBT people in sport, and some of them at a very recreational sport level and some of them professional sports people. Mm-hmm. So I started to listen to that podcast around that time as well, and I think that just percolated. And then I started to think, well, I wonder if there is a demand. And when I spoke to, to Jack, the, the young man I was, I was referred to earlier, I... <clears throat> I well, I, I didn't really know what he was going to say. I mean, I, 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 but I thought I needed a sound. I needed a sounding board, and mm-hmm. and and Jack had always been an ally in my time at the club. Um, and when he was so enthusiastic about it, it was kind of that was really powerful, both from a you know affirming that maybe this is something to do, but it also it also just gave me the 
the kick to do it, yeah. like to actually take the next step, do something tangible that will either make this happen or not. Um, what you're, what I'm seeing there, or what I'm hearing is, and what what you described, uh, you were on this uh, training um, for uh, the woman you were talking about who was uh, mm-hmm. queer. Um, we especially with COVID and, and the isolation of all different types of communities. So you've got your social bubbles um, as, as mm-hmm. at least in Ontario, we were using that term for how many people you could socialize with, but then we also have status yeah. quo bubbles and that has nothing to do with COVID, but certainly there's been some restrictions placed on different people's lives as a result of, and LGBTQ isolation is, 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 a, is a, an appropriate term, but what Jack did in affirming you um, as just a human being who happens to be a gay man is allowing you to feel accepted and you know which is why that's one of my core values it's acceptance because when we feel accepted then we feel safe then we feel that our social environment which is where we are craving acceptance, where we're trying to find people with whom we can belong so that we can express acceptance, care, and connection, which is just another way of expressing love in all of its different forms, right? Um, and so I, I, yeah. just think it's, I just think it's wonderful that, um, you know, uh, these, these moments can happen and, and we don't know who is going to be or what is going to be the reason for that change. But so often, I think as, as queer people, it's... It's not that we become complacent. Um, complacency is a kind of safety. And sometimes we need to do that. And or, and, or sometimes yeah. we've been doing the same thing for years, just playing cricket in the straight club and just trying to ignore the things that are said and going on about our lives and forgetting that we would like to make a difference because you want to come and you want to play and you want to let off some steam and have some fun, right? Yeah. And so... After that that meeting, what what were the next steps that brought you to to the, the the group that you created or the team that you created? Yeah, so after after that, I was um, you know there was there was the whole question in my head around demand, and mm. as I said, I, I was kind of convinced there had to be some people who'd be interested in this, mm. but to understand that demand, um, the easiest way given everything that was going on was to do a survey. So I just developed a survey and Birmingham LGBT, the charity, they helped me um, with with that. They, uh, they both reviewed the survey questions I came up with, but they also more importantly uh, shared the survey through their networks. So they're obviously a lot better connected to the, to the queer community in in and around Birmingham than I am. So we we put this survey out in um, sort of back end of summer, so sort of August, September time last year. And it was just kind of um, waiting with bated breath, really. Like you kind of promote the survey a bit through Twitter. Yeah. Um, I think that was the main platform from memory. I think uh, certainly there was another, there's another club in London, Grace's Cricket Club in London, which um, is the first uh, LGBT cricket club in the world. Um, so we're now the second, which is great. Um, but they were very supportive and they sent out the, the, the survey as well through their Facebook page and their uh, email lists and, and and that kind of thing, and it was a bit of just waiting and seeing, and 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 actually the the um, the results or the the responses started to, to trickle in, and I was 
pleasantly surprised, to be honest, yeah. at the level of um, of interest. You know, as I said a few minutes ago, I thought if we could get six or seven people, yeah. then you know you can normally then drag some other friends in to fill up the eleven, yeah. you know, to get a team on the park. And this is kind of what Grace has said to me. You know, when they started, and they obviously started at a different time, twenty five years ago. Mm. You know, they basically had six or seven uh, LGBT people as part of their team and they just had to find other people to, to fill in um we're at a point now with the amount of interest that we're getting that i think we're gonna have selection problems and we'll be like how the hell are we going to fit everybody in <laughs> how are we going to give everybody a game and that didn't happen immediately but we did get over 20 responses to that survey and not not all of them wanted to play <clears throat> you know there was a chunk of them who were like well I used to play or I like the sport and I'd love to be involved. I don't want to necessarily play myself, but I'd, you know, maybe come along as a social member or watch or help out in other capacities, which is all incredibly important as well. Yeah. Uh, but there was probably about 10 to, to 15 people who'd said they were interested in, in playing. Um, and, and that group um, has grown to, I reckon, uh, between 15 and 20 now people who are interested in, in playing, of which there's probably about 10 to 12 who are, I think, pretty keen on playing every week. But obviously to get to the point where we are now, you know, doing, doing the survey is one thing, but then, you know, we, we went into more lockdowns like yeah. uh, Canada did, I think, and well, everywhere did really. Um, so I was like, well, I couldn't, couldn't meet any of these people. So yeah. we had to do it via zoom you know i sort of set up zoom meetings to chat to these people and it pretty quickly there was a core of sort of six or seven people who kept turning up to every zoom meeting we had nice. and i was still doing most of the um legwork i guess that the, the practical stuff trying to think through <laughs> how do we get this off the ground how do we turn it into a club mm -hmm. that kind of thing but, you know, there were six or seven people who turned up every time who wanted to be part of that conversation, who were interested, would give their view, that kind of thing. Um, and and by probably Christmas of last year, we got to the point that as a collective, we'd agreed on a club name, mm -hmm. so the Birmingham Unicorns Cricket Club. Mm -hmm. So Unicorns obviously has some really powerful connections and connotations with the lgbt community mm -hmm. uh, and i I'm, you know and i think that's global and i think it maybe has slightly different meanings and connotations in different parts of the globe but <coughs> i think as a as a symbol there's certainly a strong symbol there for the community but the other thing about the unicorns which i liked and i think the group liked was that there are there are cricket clubs called the unicorns as well you know here in in, in birmingham so it's uh, not in birmingham sorry in 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 england in the uk and there's not many of them but it is it is a a a name which has also got a bit of cricket history to it as well so okay. it kind of felt like a nice blend birmingham unicorns uh cricket club um so we got to that point where we came up with a, a name and that was great and we thought we'll come up with a logo but now we've got to find where to play and we, we need people to yeah. play against and we need to actually turn this into a cricket club and this is the time where i thought shit like <laughs> what what now well, how do we make this happen and that's kind of where we started talking yeah. again yeah. At, at more or less that point uh, and i think that came about um because 
Well, I'd, I'd seen something that you'd either tweeted or emailed or something. Mm-hmm. I can't remember because you said as. Well, as I think you, you were on. Said, I think you're on my uh, newsletter list, and uh, it, it was January. I had put out a, a post at the end of December, which transitioned into a post at the beginning of January. So I, I took a very different approach to reviewing, like your your past twelve months in in. That's right. A bit of a outside of the norm um and i i'm actually going to have to look it up and i'll link it but it was looking at you know what you had accomplished from the perspective of you know how did that change you and how did that make your life better and then uh not about what you failed at but what goals maybe you had that you didn't pursue and what were the reasons why you chose not to so yeah. looking at it very differently and then i i challenged in the next article about um you know, purpose and values, I think, as opposed to setting goals just for writing goals. And, and goals are important because we want to know where we're going, but we also have to have a sense of like the thing that's most important to us, or if we have a mission or if we have a purpose, because that, that can be very much, um, it, it, it gives you both a top down and a bottom up and it, which sounds like a contradiction, but bottom up would mean that you have the foundations for something. So having a very solid mission or a purpose will really give you the foundations for something. The yeah. top down would be setting the actual goal. Like, you know, by this date, I will have accomplished this thing. Right. Um, so yeah. what I like about that is that you're, you're kind of going in this direction as opposed to just trying to, only focus on the tasks themselves. So the bottom up gives you the the feeling state, the inspiration, which is the self motivation to go and and do that thing. And then I had, um, I know I had recorded like a three minute video about, you know, if you are struggling with goals and all of these ideas right now, and you want to get clarity and focus, touch base with me. And so you had responded to uh, that email yeah. and then I sent you four questions to answer and then we hopped that's on right. a call. Yeah, exactly. Yes. That's the, no, you're right. That's what it was. And, um, and you know what, you know, the, when I got the, um, the initial email from you with your, uh, you know, sort of methodology that you'd outlined a different way of looking at your year and that kind of thing. I don't know what it was, which prompted me to actually, do it but i just mm-hmm. there was that thought oh i'm just gonna do it i'll just let's, let's see what comes up you know mm-hmm. um was stuck in lockdown in the middle of winter it was miserable at this stuff i wanted to try and achieve so i just i just did it out of well, i don't know i don't know what it was particularly that prompted me to do it but i did it and, and that as you said led us to that initial uh sort of clarity call i guess um in in january mm-hmm. and since then I mean, I guess we can touch on a little bit some of the stuff that that's happened, but since then it's been um it's been a really well, it's been an incredibly energetic and focused kind of few months. Mm-hmm. And I've I and and the club, now that we are formally constituted and exist as a club, have made, you know, huge strides in terms of what we wanted to achieve. Uh, probably more than I uh could have envisaged or yeah. you know there's certainly a couple of things that we've we've managed to achieve which i i not that i didn't think we could achieve them but it was more a uh 
well, if it happens, it happens. But you know, there's there's other stuff we really need to to sort first. It'd be great if it happened, but you know, um, let's not get bogged down on it. There's practical stuff that needs to be sorted out first. So it's it's been a, quite a remarkable few months, and we're now only uh, just over a month away from our first actual match. Well, there's um. There, there was, there's been quite a number of things that we've worked through and, and with, with, with coaching, it's interesting to me because it, it, it could be anything. Um, you know, I have a client I'm working with issues of, of, of gay shame, um, with yourself, um, and a, another podcast I did with another client. We're working through like the entrepreneurial or project based aspect. And, and in both cases, yeah. this is coming from something that's very, very meaningful and in both cases, it's coming from identity, um, wanting to create that space. So I remember very early on, and I don't know if it was, it might have been in our after the discovery session, then when you uh, made the commitment to some coaching, it might have been in the very first or second one. Um, there were a lot of big questions about organizational structure and such, but mm. we, got, we got onto purpose and to the yeah. ethos of the club. And um, I, I wish I had a thought of writing this down but it just occurred to me now you basically gave me sort of the ethos or the 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 mandate about the equity of the club and yeah what is that it's it's quite moving it's quite empowering it is i mean for me it's being it's creating an environment it's creating a community which is empowering for everybody who comes irrespective of ability whether you've played cricket before mm-hmm. where you are on the lgbtq plus kind of spectrum mm-hmm. um I, I wanted it to be a place where people can be themselves like absolutely be themselves and there's no um no uh you know you're not going to experience shame you're not going to be humiliated if things don't go well mm-hmm. you know there's going to be moments where you know, things are not going to go well and there's going to be tears, but we're going to share those together and we're going to share the victories together and we're going to share the accomplishments together. And it just has to be a place that wherever you are on the LGBTQ spectrum or or an ally or somebody who wants to be part of this environment mm-hmm. can feel like they're at home. You know, it's effectively a home for them. Mm-hmm. And I was really keen and I'm still really keen to make sure that that's the case. That's got to be the case because if we're not going to do that, yeah. then we'll we'll fracture you know I'm, I'm i'm sure there'll be there'll be fractures and and it's not to say we're going to get everything perfect from day one because you know we're mm-hmm. going to get things wrong everybody does and but we're going to learn about that together and create this environment where we do things slightly differently i suppose like because mm-hmm. actually some of the stuff that's come out now through the coaching process and then through what we've done as a club has meant that we're actually doing things slightly differently. Like we don't have to do things mm. the way every other cricket club or every other sporting club. Well, one one of the club. things was a was a kind of a, a challenge question I had for you, which is about how you were going to hold your meetings. Yeah, yeah, it, it was, and I, and I remember we talked. You know, I I had this whole um, conundrum i guess in my head where i was thinking about okay so i've got you know 20 odd people interested here but we need to formalize this club you know we need to have a proper structured committee you know mm-hmm. um if we're going to access funding get bank accounts or this kind of thing we need to have that you know it's kind of a requirement 
But if you're going to do that, you know, and suddenly you're going to have five, six people on a committee, then you used to have 10, 15 people, 20 people engaged. Mm-hmm. You know, what do I do? Like, do I, how, how do I keep them engaged? And, and, and youth just threw it out to me. It was like, well, you know, why don't, you know, effectively, why don't you just have an open committee like where anyone can come along, you know, as long as you're not talking about something totally sensitive and confidential, you know, why, why not just open it up? And I'd never considered that before. And I went away and I talked to the other prospective committee members and, and said, this is something I'd really like to try. Uh, and they're all on board with it, totally fine mm-hmm. with it. Mm-hmm. And that's the approach we've taken. Mm-hmm. And actually, like, so the, for, a lot, for the last committee meeting we had um, a couple of weeks back, we we got some really interesting insights and perspectives from people who weren't on the committee. Yeah. And actually, that's that's what we wanted. And they picked up some things. Wonderful, wonderful. That we we may not have picked up as a committee, and it keeps it. And it just keeps the option open for people. Like, you know, if you don't want to attend the committee meeting, you don't have to, because there'll be an email afterwards which explains everything that we talked about uh, and that kind of stuff. But if you do, and if you want to be part of that conversation and, and throw in your ideas, then you're welcome to come. And it's something I, you know, want to do. And I've never been involved in that kind of structure before. Um, well, it was interesting because so, as you presented, I remember that conversation and we were talking about equity, we were talking about... Yeah. Um, issues for trans inclusion, like uh, locker room facilities and language um, and all that sort of thing. And then, you know, looking at the old world way of how cricket is managed and how board meetings are managed and, you you know, your ethos for inclusivity and almost not clearinghouse isn't the right word, but it's the idea of bringing people in wherever they're at, helping them enjoy the experience, whether they move on, whether they come back in and out, but just, just the sort of openness. And I just felt to me like, well, how do you, how do you create even more openness? How do you uh, offer this greater level of equity such that while this club is still in formation, and like I said, you know, uh, you know, you have those meetings and then when you're, have to talk about something confidential that's when you close the public side of the meeting and then you go into like discussion of finances and banking and all the boring stuff right yeah but it, yeah. it it leads it could be challenging but that was my hope was that like what you presented here people would give you insights that you would have never had on your own uh because it's yeah. like insular yeah and and can com- com- no, that's exactly right, and that's exactly what's happened so far. And yeah, we've only had one open board meeting, but yeah. it, it it worked the way I hoped it would work, and yeah. and I hope it will work the same way in the future. I just think we need to, you know, we need to let people have a voice. This this club has got to be part of their their own journey, what whatever that's about, whether that's about cricket or whether that's about their sexuality or whether, you know, whatever it might be, mm-hmm. it needs to be part of their own journey as well. And the other, the other thing I want this club to do is, and, and I talked to somebody about this recently, is that, I, I you know, I want this to be part of the way, or the club to be part of the conversation, part of the action that changes the face of cricket, you know, it mm-hmm. makes it 
a more inclusive sport. And if, if people come and play for the unicorns mm -hmm. and, you know, we are probably not going to be playing at the highest standard, even if we enter a league one day, you know, we're not going to be in an elite league by any means, but if you, you come along and play and you're good enough that you can be playing at a higher level, I, I want your experience of the unicorns to be so good and so positive that you have the confidence mm. to, to go to another club at a higher level and play cricket. But more than that, I want the whole cricket community. So for us here in Birmingham in particular, uh, for now to understand the value and the um, enthusiasm that LGBT people can bring to, to, to cricket. Yeah. Um, and, and how it can be their home as well. And, and, and that can be the case at every cricket club. This is, um, ooh, getting goosebumps, honestly. Uh, <laughs> the hairs just stood up on my arms because uh, what, what I'm privy to is the conversations that we've had for the last three months. And yeah. in, in, I think, the first formal coaching session, we, we broke down, you know, what are sort of like the two or three um, big challenges or, and then trying to figure out what you might want to deal with first. And yep. you, know, you, you write and you're doing uh, some writing with a writing group, an LGBTQ uh, writers yep. group. And your original thought that you expressed to me is that you might want to work through blogging about an idea for, you know, a queer cricket club. And I, I think in that session, it became very clear. I didn't tell you what to do. I just asked more questions. It's like, well, the writing can happen along the journey, but yeah. the writing wasn't what needed to precede the, the cricket club. And, you know, without um, getting too personal, you, you were wanting to work through how you felt doubt or even yeah. insecurity about how you could do all this. And I, and I think, to be fair, um, not for lack of ability, but because it's a huge project. And this is what <laughs> this is when I find coaching for myself most useful because your brain's exploding with, I have to do this and this and this and this. And like, I yes. don't know what to do first. Somebody help. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and so then that makes us yeah. try and choose maybe the thing that feels safest is like, oh, I'll go write a blog post. Which yeah. is which is not yeah. a bad thing, um, but it might not get you to where you want to go. It'll feel good in the moment, and then after the fact, you'll still feel that oh, I haven't got to where I wanted to go. Which sort of this leads me to, if you can recall, maybe how you were feeling when we first started uh, working together. Um, yeah. To how you're feeling about what you have developed. And how you have been able to, you know, bring about change um, with this group, and you may even want to speak to the the concerns you had about leadership as well. Mm. I, you know, when we first spoke, I had huge doubts about my own uh, ability to navigate through this and to make it happen. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I suppose there was a part of me deep down that sort of knew I probably could, mm -hmm. but I had, you know, a big part of me that was saying, how, how do you do this? Like how, you know, this is, this is, um, as you said, this is a big project. This isn't, 
this isn't something that happens overnight. This, this it's complex. There's lots of different parts to it. Mm -hmm. It's about, <clears throat> as you rightly said a minute ago, it's about leadership. It's, it's actually being in a position to take people on a journey with you, to be part of that journey, to be able to understand and and relish, if anything, the, the points in which you can give over different tasks, different responsibility, different um, challenges to, to other people because they're in a better position to, to do those things. And I, you know, I had serious doubts about whether the people who were coming along to these Zoom calls would commit. And that wasn't a reflection on them. That was a reflection on me where I had doubts about my own leadership ability to take them and work with them on that journey. So I remember in those first calls, it was very much trying to work out, A, what the next step was in a very mm. practical sense, but mm. B, what what does leadership look like in that in that situation at, at that particular time because to be fair i think even in three months my leadership has moved on yeah. and i think where i was talking to you in january is different to where i am now yeah. certainly in terms of my confidence mm -hmm. certainly in terms of my open-mindedness mm -hmm. to different approaches is, mm -hmm. is very different now it's much more open-minded i feel much more i think one thing that's really helped and this goes back to probably our first session or second session together is the ethos you know understanding the ethos and the vision of what we wanted to do i mm -hmm. feel like talking that through and understanding that for myself what that why that's important to me mm -hmm has enabled me to be a better leader and to be able to communicate uh, not just not just that, I mean, as important as that is, the ethos and the vision, but to communicate everything else that goes along with that. Because in order to make that vision and ethos a reality, you know, there's practical stuff that needs to happen um, alongside. And that's been really beneficial. So I've moved from a position of, of doubt, wondering whether we can get this thing off the ground. Mm. And don't get me wrong, you know, a month out from our first match, we've still got some stuff to sort out. We're not there yet, but we've come a long, long way. Uh -huh. But I've gone from, can we get this thing off the ground to actually maybe we need to try and find some more opponents this season and play more games because actually we've got a lot of people who are interested in doing this. We've got media organizations who are interested in talking to us. We've got the sports governing body having conversations with us. We've got the local professional club, Warwickshire County Cricket Club, having conversations with us about how they can help us and what we can do together and how we can promote LGBT inclusion across cricket in, in Warwickshire and in Birmingham. And it's like, whoa, you know, that's not where we were three months ago. But part of that has come from the confidence that I have from the vision and ethos which came out of those very early sessions and you know you 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 know in in one of our more recent sessions i came to you with like my brain's just a fried mess i don't really know what to do now i had about a thousand things going around my head like yeah. how do i 
do this? How do I do that? Who's going to do that? Who's going to do that? And we work through that. And you ask me lots of questions and help me to just to categorize things and be clear about who who's best place to do that. Is that something I need to be doing as the leader? Is that something that other people can be picking up? And, and not just something that other people can pick up, but other people want to pick up. Yeah. And that's the thing that I, one of the other things I've learned is that when you when you engage people in a, in a passion project or in a project where yeah. you um, have a sh shared sort of ethos and a shared vision, other people do want to do things. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and thankfully, some of those things are things that I don't want to do. That yeah. helps as well. But but even if it wasn't, the fact that people want to take stuff on yeah. and do it and have done so yeah. has been fantastic as well. But the coaching sessions have given me the confidence to think through how do I approach these people? How do I talk to the other committee members? What is it? What are their strengths? So, you know, because well, most of these people, barring Jack, most of these people, I don't know them that well. Every time we meet, we're getting to know each other a bit better. Mm -hmm. But still, we've still only ever met on Zoom mm -hmm. six or seven times, kind of thing. So, how do I? talk to them how do i what do i understand about their passions their interests their desires mm -hmm. and how do you capture that to make the unicorns work and, and a lot of that to date has gone really well uh yeah the way you framed it is um insight into leadership which is such a complex topic because there's so many different types of leadership um when we first started talking about the uh, the ethos and the way in which you wrote it, and um, I guess the invitation at the end of that session was to you know you know I said write write down what and I sort of repeated what you said. I said write that down for yourself. Like I was making my own notes, but I wanted to make sure that you put hand to pen to paper because then that sort of makes the connection with the brain. I know you went away on the weekend, worked at it some more, and then you shared it with people. And yeah. that's that's the first step because that's what attracts people to an organization, whether that be a company or a community group or another volunteer organization. Um, you know, that's part of the reason for my involvement with what I do as secretary of the board for Inspire Awards and like the hours and hours mm. and hours we put in of volunteer time. But then you have these moments of if you're doubting, why am I doing this? Then it's the ethos or it's the mission or it's the people who are on the receptive end of, of the tasks or the service that you're providing um, that are so grateful or so appreciative or are then coming back, like you said, and, and feeding into this thing you've given birth to. And what I really appreciated about what you were sharing is that you, you saw a need and the need came from yourself. But it wasn't mm. as it wasn't a selfish, self-serving like thing. It's like you you want to play cricket. You want to play cricket in a way when you suddenly had this epiphany over time that has this empowering aspect to equitable acceptance. I would say, um, and that's what other people connected with. And in in some of our conversations when you were worried about, you know, who will be the treasurer and who could do this. And we talked about like how to ask. 
um, and how to find out how yeah. people want to bring perhaps their skills to the table in the first instance, even though that might be something they want to move from because their desire is to bring life to this idea. And, you know, just to wrap up this longer thought is the way you've framed it, the way you've described it to me, the way you've shared about it here, there is a lot of energy in the sense of aliveness to this, to the unicorns and, and, mm. and, and what it's attracting. Like you were saying, other organizations wanting to be involved and wanting to bring money to the table, so to speak. D definitely. Um, and I couldn't, couldn't foresee that. Like I, you know, in, in, in thinking up the idea and, trying to start to create this kind of community in this club. It's, it's something that I, I wanted to happen, but I couldn't, you know, when we first spoke, I don't think I could see how that could happen in a way. Like I couldn't see the steps on that, on that journey, I guess. Um, but by working together and then working with the committee and working with the other members who are interested and offering their opinions and the like, you know, we, we've we've got to a place now where, as I said, we're you know we're we're almost there. We've yeah, yeah. we've got this identity now, and and there's a sense of there's a sense of um, achievement and ownership. I think for everybody you know who's been involved in this process, which I think is so important if you can get that in any kind of club. I guess you know if, if people feel like they are part owners of it. Right. Um, buy into the ethos like you were just saying right. it gives you a, a strength and a hopefully a um, foundation to build from yeah beautiful maybe we'll we'll bring things to a, a, a bit of a wrap here you've really um, explained how you know the coaching process has helped you um, and one of the challenges in 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 coaching with a project is that there is no right or wrong about how long something will take because it depends on the size of a project and then available time you know you've you've got a job that you're doing and then you're you're, you're creating this on your own have you observed perhaps in how i've approached uh our work together um that that has really helped bring more clarity and focus and direction um, to what you want to accomplish. I think that the first thing that you, that you did in the whole coaching sort of process has done has given me the space mm -hmm. to think about some of these things. So instead of, and, and to think about them and articulate them. So, you know, prior to this process, this was all just going around inside my head and it was very difficult to articulate it um i think the fact that uh you're removed from the situation now in this case you're very removed <laughs> you're over in canada and i'm here in the uk um i i think helps because you can ask the questions that easier to ask if you're not not so embedded so i think that's really important i think the fact that you one thing i've really appreciated in the process mm -hmm. is the fact that 
you can join the dots back to different parts of the conversation mm. that we might have had two weeks ago, two months ago. Right. Where for me, I'm always kind of thinking ahead. Yeah. You, you, you've helped me to think back as well mm. in terms of what what's been achieved, what I've achieved, uh, what the different thought processes have been on that journey, like the journey from doubt, the journey through leadership, the journey through uh, some of the logistical stuff that, that needed to be done. Um, I've just found that really powerful because I don't think we always think back to what we've done. We're always thinking forward and one of the things that you know we talked about was when i was having those initial conversations with people about um you know would you be interested in being part of the committee and and that kind of thing you know you, you sort of you, you made the point to me that you know you've you've achieved a lot like either in me individually or, or as a group we've achieved a lot like it's worth reminding everybody of that Mm-hmm. And and I, and I did that as part of that process, and that was so important for me as well, just to understand that actually we've come a long way here, and and we've achieved a lot together. So that the fact that you're able to make those connections, I, I call it going backwards, um, is really helpful to then move forward because you can sort of see your journey a bit more clearly. And and to be honest, I just think you're. You know, to put a bit of praise, and you haven't asked me to particularly do this, but you know, the fact that you ask questions in a very considered and non-judgmental way—you're mm-hmm. not sitting there saying, you know, there's no look on your face as you're asking. I'd say, well, why the bloody hell have you done that kind of thing? <laughs> um, you might be thinking it—I don't know—but if you, if you are, you're certainly not expressing it. Um, but the fact that you can just ask those questions and open in a very open way, which enables you to explore or enables me to explore, uh, you know, the issue at hand, the challenge, the doubt, the question of my leadership, the next step, whatever it might be, has been really helpful in this process over the last three months. So it's, it's, um, you know, I've never really, I had coaching once before about 15 years ago in a, in a, job that I did which I, I can still to be fair I can still remember a couple of things from that <laughs> that coaching which have kind of stuck with me and, and have been helpful hmm. um but I hadn't revisited any of this for like 15 years I hadn't tried coaching but this just felt like the time was right in order to help me I don't know push through a personal kind of confidence belief barrier mm-hmm. you know to help me understand that i'm i'm valid you know my my perspective is valid you know i um and there's there's worth in what we're doing you know even though you don't know cricket and you're not in the country the fact that you've been able to help me understand that as well mm-hmm. has helped me push forward on this whole journey wonderful that's um there's some interesting insights in there. Like what's, what's important to recognize, like I don't have to know um, all the situations about the game, cricket, the, the social environment around cricket, um, the, you know, other, other things that come into it. All I need to be is curious. 
because what the way I was taught to coach and the way I approach things is <clears throat> from a, a neuroscience perspective, we we're going to more easily do take on a task or do something that we want to do if if there's some neuro associations there, meaning we've got something that we understand, we've got some sort of prediction and response, some sort of habit or behavior that we can maybe build upon. Um, so when somebody gives you something so radically new, like your idea three months ago, six months ago, is so radically new that it's going to seem like, oh my God, I don't even know if I can do this, right? But then when you start to to, to break the things down into the smaller parts, like finding some really big three-year goal and then backing up to a year and then backing up to six months and then backing up to like what you need to do week by week, then you start to see the smaller parts. And, and that is, like you mentioned, going back and forth. I take a lot of notes and I will highlight for myself certain things because maybe it might be something worth looking into later and I review my notes because if you say something today in a conversation, I might be triggered to remember this has come up before. So if it's come up before, there's something to it. And then, okay, I'll ask a question because I don't know if it's useful. It just, it's an intuitive, it's a, it's training in the skillfulness of coaching. It's like, maybe there's something here. Let's, and, and it may not be the case. And then we, we move on and go on to something else, but the review of what has been done, what has been accomplished is is really important from that self grounding and the self awareness and uh, the, the greater just call it self acceptance, which is confidence. And you said that already. It's to to realize where I was and where I've come from, and in that leadership is one of the things you wanted to discuss in coaching. That's an confidence there in 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 leadership and. I mentioned to you a couple of sessions ago in the work I'm doing with um, human heartedness, um, you express a great deal of humility mm -hmm. and open-mindedness. And, and those are, those are huge aspects of this kind of leadership where people will follow you, but you're not dictating where you're engaging. And the fact that you've got this strong eth ethos for what the club means and for what it could mean in the future. And that you are actually having a conceptual five year or thereabouts longer term goal is, is when you talk about it with the people on your committee and people that come to the meetings, they, they get a sense of that. They, they sense that potential. And so maybe one of the last questions with what I said there how do you feel about the future success and and the the, the growth and the potential of this passion project, the uh, the uh, Birmingham Unicorns? Incredibly positive. I mean, I I I'm convinced, totally convinced that now every game we're going to get eleven people mm. out there on the park. We're going to have a range of people, so we're going to have. Um, uh, we've, we've got some people who've never played the game before and, and they're going to be out there having their first go at it. And I can't wait for them to have their first go and for us mm. more experienced, not necessarily better, but more experienced players yeah, yeah. to, uh, <laughs> to you know, encourage them and, and to be there with them on that journey. You know, we've got some very experienced players and, uh, as well who are going to play really integral roles in, in building the, 
um, uh, culture, the way we play cricket. I feel like, I, you know, I really feel like we're on the cusp of being that inclusive club, and I can't wait till we can actually start meeting each other in person again, which hopefully will be, well, actually, we're hoping to have our very first training session together, and it looks like about eight or nine people can come on the 26th of April, which, so it's not that far away. No. We, if I, I believe if we can get together, that we can be that inclusive environment. You know, we've got people who want to come and play cricket. We've got men, we've got women, we've got people who identify as non-binary, we've got trans men, uh, and, and there may be others that I don't know about right now, but, you know, who, who want to be part of this. And I look, I really look forward to them being part of it. I, I'm really, I'm essentially, I'm, I'm really confident and I'm really positive about the future. And I, and I think this year we'll, I think we'll do better than we thought we would do in pretty much every aspect of uh, the, the club. And, and that will be down to the enthusiasm of everybody and the fact that, you know, cricket is a great sport and people have just got to come along and try it out. Amazing. Well, I'll, I'll include a number of links uh, in the show notes, but how do people find out more about the unicorns? Yeah. So, I mean, we're on pretty much every social media I think you can think of. So if if you just Google Birmingham Unicorns Cricket Club, you'll, you'll find our website. We're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, and we are on uh, Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, so they are, they are best bets. Um, and, and you can, and if you want to ask us questions, um, uh, and, and if you're local to, to Birmingham or if you're in England and are interested in finding out more about what's going on, uh, you can engage us through any of those uh, uh, any of those routes is, is absolutely fine. If you want to, you know, if you are local and you're interested in playing, then by all means get in touch and, and, and we can have a chat about that and we'd love to have you involved. Be a few other articles in the media and, 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 and also hopefully there'll be some other cricket clubs emerging over the coming Yeah year or two in other parts of the country who who will also be inclusive cricket clubs. That's one of the other things that I'd like to help try and facilitate um, and help make happen uh, and, and encourage, you know, other, other people to do that. So yeah, get in touch if you're interested or if, you, or if you're just curious about cricket and you don't understand the sport, then follow us on one of our social media channels and you'll soon learn all, all about us and the highs and lows of, of this crazy game. Amazing. Well, Laughlin, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time to do this with me today. Cheers. Thanks, Darren. It's been a pleasure. Thank you.